You're listening to the Fantasy Football Astronauts. Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Football Astronauts. I'm your host, Jetpack Galileo, here with Ryan Keeney. And today we're going over startup draft strategy. So we're just going to hop right into it. Uh, Keeney, you got some stuff for us just to uh, get going. But talk me through some of your favorite strategies that you're finding and if anything has changed for you uh, over the years. What, what's been kind of your growth process as you're looking into joining more dynasty leagues? How are you getting yourself set up? What do you want to do to, to get that kicked off? Yeah, so as I've kind of been joining more fantasy leagues, uh, more dynasty leagues, my initial strategy, which has always kind of served me well historically, has been to go kind of a much more wide receiver heavy approach in early on in drafts. Although, honestly, that, that sort of is changing, especially with Superflex becoming more and more the norm. And in fact, that's kind of where I like to, to draft now. Uh, my strategy still tends to be kind of focusing on getting at least three to four wide receivers through round seven, just because for me, that's, that's kind of where the value drops off. But if I can, my absolute favorite strategy in a startup is to trade out of rounds two and pick up as many picks in round six or above. So that's, that's my like number one goal. So if I'm going into a draft and I, you know, I'm picking late into the first round or picking somewhere in the second round, if I can trade out of those picks, you know, there's no val- extreme value and it's staring me in the face. If I can trade out of those picks, that is like my absolute favorite thing to do. And it's the thing I try to do in every single startup I can. It's a bit of a cheat code because you get to have players who they fall in love with a player. They fall in love with a Stefan Diggs or someone like that. And they see them and they're, you know, they're staring them down as they come closer and closer to your pick. You offer up your pick as a trade. They jump on it and they're more than happy to pay, you know, move down. You move down a round and you pick up maybe a fourth or a fifth option, a fourth or a fifth pick, uh, round pick. And and it's like those picks can turn into like a David Montgomery, Joe Mixon in the fourth round. And you can turn that into an excellent player, excellent wide receiver at that point. If you want Terry McLaurin, early third, something like that. It's just like there's so much value to had and just preying on people's like they, they get like these stars in their eyes. And, and really, for me, after about the first half of the first round in Superflex, there just isn't a huge difference for a few rounds. So for me, that's that's kind of like my best advice is don't get locked into a certain player. Offer up your picks if you can. Move down, pick up the value, and just add more players to your squad. Yeah, we had, How about you? We had Mike Meup on the show uh, like a month ago, and he was talking about how much he liked trading down. Um and yeah, to me, that's not a strategy that I, I've used too much. I mean, generally speaking, I think trading down is a good idea. Uh, but when you're looking at your second round, would you say second round is kind of like your high priority? If we were to say, hey, we're doing our 2021 startup, I want to make sure I'm trading out of the second round. Or is there something in the first round or what? what's kind of your comfort level that you feel like you would want to be able to skip out on? And then is there a period in the draft? Like, is there a draft slot that you prefer that at? So beginning of the draft where, you, you know, you're on that, that one, one to 24, or what, what are you noticing there? What, what, what do you feel? Yeah. So for me, if I'm picking somewhere in the top half of the first round, 
it usually means in a super flex league, I can be picking up someone like a Mahomes, McCaffrey. If I'm picking, of course, in the early in the round, Murray, Kyler Murley, um, Justin Herbert, Prescott. And then for me, really, that extends out to maybe Barkley. After that, I'm pretty happy trading down. And I would say that kind of pocket where I'm happy to trade out of, it tends to last maybe around, I say give or take on your draft, maybe back third of the first round, really all the way through the mid-third. Uh, just because for me, I, I'm the way I play Dynasty is I'm always in love. I've This is like a weakness in my game, to be honest, is I love up-and-coming players. So for me, after the players who are just absolutely elite talents, like a McCaffrey, Barkley, are off the field, if I'm seeing and I'm trying to pick a player like a Dalvin Cook or something like that, you know, I'd, I'd rather just pass and, and pick up a player who's going to be giving me 80 to 90% of that production, um, but also as someone who is on the other side of the aging curve. So if I can get younger and give me that production and get more picks, that's kind of where I would like to do it. Now, if I can pick one of those top you know, six to eight guys, I probably won't trade out of it because those guys provide just that much more value, especially in a super flex draft where having a Prescott for me, he's like kind of the line in the sand um, or Herbert Prescott middle of the first round where if I have that pick, I'm, I'm going to take it. Um, and then I'd be looking to probably trade out of the second round. Now, if I can't trade out of the second round and I'm forced to pick there, um, there's some players that do come to mind as who's I'd like to pick. Um, interesting thing I've seen the last few drafts is that very, very few, if any, wide receivers will go in the first round, which means you're usually seeing between five to six wide receivers go in the second round. And of those wide receivers, it amazes me that A.J. Brown isn't the first one selected. So if I can get A.J. Brown in the mid to early second round, he's the player I'm going to be pulling the trigger on if I can't trade down. Um, but outside of that, there's I just really hate picking some of the older running backs because I only see their, them adding value for another year or two. And there's a lot of risk with those players. I'd rather just wait to the end of the second round, early third round, and pick up someone like a Cam Akers or a DeAndre Swift, um, or even trade down into the third round and look at other players, you know, like a Clyde Edwards Slayer, who's often going into the late third, fourth round, Gibson. You, you can kind of see, like, I'm looking for the younger players where at the running back position specifically. I'm, I'm fine picking older players at the wide receiver position when they get it to 26, 27, 28 years old because I, we can usually rely on them giving us production for a couple years, and that's stable production. I just I hate picking running backs who are over the age 25, 26. It just, I feel extremely uncomfortable doing that early on in Dynasty because if you're just unlucky, that player suffers an injury, they're going into the end of their contract, they don't have you know, they've been paid a lot. Maybe it's a second contract. They've been paid a lot of money, but oftentimes they can get out of those contracts early. And and all of a sudden you're sitting with just an absolutely dead asset uh, on your roster that you've just spent, you know, a second round startup capital on in, in a year or two. And it's just, it can just be absolutely devastating and hard to overcome for your, for your league, uh, for your, for your roster. Yeah, that's really interesting. Right now we're building out our age adjustment curve. And so how that affects a player's dynasty value, we're going to incorporate that um, just in the future of, of a, a value attached to a player's age according to his position. And then that's going to modify something like 
points per game or whatever. And we'll use that to modify or help us identify player rank, um, you know, associations for when you're doing your startup drafts. But we'll do a whole podcast on that in the future. But just right now, you know, when you're saying like, oh, I don't want to draft running backs over 25, 26. Um, I think that when you're looking at, especially in this back half of the first round, when you look at this Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara, a lot of people want to say, oh, the three-year window is what matters to me. That's a really common phrase in Dynasty is, oh, I really care about this three-year window. But I feel like, especially in the first round with your Dynasty startup pick, you almost want to be thinking 10 years, right? Like a, a CMC, CMC is, you know, he's got five years on him. Mahomes, he's going to be great for, you know, who knows, 15 years or whatever, right? For infinity. And so you want that anchor pick to be a guy that's just going to last forever. Um, and so I think that's why, you, you know, you end up maybe leaning towards uh, taking wide receivers because people think they last longer or really trying to prioritize um, these really young guys. Like a, a Jonathan Taylor, I feel more comfortable with because he's 22, 23, uh, rather than taking the uh, Alvin Kamara, 26, 27, Dalvin Cook in that ballpark. Um, so the other thing you said that was interesting was, your love of AJ Brown is he your wide receiver one? Is that where you're at in Dynasty? Just looking at the collective body of what you think he's going to end up being. I hesitate to say yes, but I, I I wouldn't pick him behind anybody else right now. So I think I have to say yes. <laughs> There's a few guys who are are like that. I think the interesting thing to note for wide receivers, um, at least recently, is just kind of do you go through the mental exercise and and just say, hey, who has been the number one running back in dynasty the last you know three years and then even just go back and look at last season and look at who has been the number one um wide receiver kind of in dynasty or at least in the conversation and that's been players you know it was hopkins for a while it was michael thomas a year ago it's you know justin jefferson is now in the conversation aj brown entered and kind of maybe solidified himself there towards the end of last season. But early on in the season, it was Metcalf. Um, it, it just like Tyreek Hill was in that location kind of before he landed to some legal troubles. And then now I think he's probably back up there. He would we'd probably be set in stone if, if he hadn't run into those issues. Devontae Adams. I mean, it's like you can start to go through this list here and it's just like all of these guys are in the conversation. And you can all make really good points, you know, say, do I want production now? Maybe it's Devontae Adams. Do I want, you know, the explosive play of Tyreek Hill on one of the best offenses or the best offense in the league? Do I want the best, like, youngest player? Maybe Jamar Jefferson is, um, Justin Jefferson, excuse me, is the player you want to put there. AJ Brown, you know, you got some questions about him playing in the inside or outside. In terms of production and efficiency, AJ Brown is, I think, clearly, it, arguably, in, in, in that first tier and, and some people would put him in a tier by himself. I'm much more of the opinion that there is a group of about five or six wide receivers that all make up tier one in dynasty with the kind of the wide receiver one value in dynasty. And, and I'm happy, or at least I've learned is I will, I'm willing to, to sell or put that player, whoever's number one, at the moment, I like putting them on the block because if they're on the block and you're able to sell that player, you can usually get a player who is comparable uh, comparable um, performance or maybe a tier two below that. 
and you can just add a bunch of value because people are willing to pay for to have the that wide receiver one and for me it's it's a group of guys so it it's kind of a two answers in one for you but for me it just it's, it's, it seems like the turnover of the wide receiver one position has been you know uh quite heavy and it's you know it's like not in the days where we had antonio brown just locking it in for you know three years four years straight where there's really no question about it and and when we have kind of this rollover turnover at the top i'm happy to say yeah this guy's my number one but if someone comes to me and is willing to pay you know like he's a tier above everybody else yeah i'm gonna you you can have him (laughs) Uh, i'm happy to turn that player into a variety of assets that are more valuable you know it's you know half a year year later when everybody realizes they're they're all kind of the same yeah and that sounds like it goes right along with your second round trade down being your sweet spot right it's that exact same idea, not just with the wide receivers, but really everybody in that second round. So um, when you're trading out of the second, what are you demanding or what are you what are you asking for specifically? Let's say you're, you know, uh, pick 15, something like that, 15, 16 in that range. Yeah, yeah. So in the league that I was in um, with you here, we just did a running uh, astronaut startup dynasty. So it's a little bit different than your kind of typical league. ADP tends to be align pretty well actually though um with with other services that you'd see we're running a super flex um dynasty that is also best ball but they're very deep rosters and it is tight end premium uh, but you're not required to start it start a tight end now the way it works out is that you almost always be starting a tight end if you've got a halfway decent one on your roster um just because of how many spots we've got in flex and super flex and a wide receiver tight end flex so it the way i kind of see this falling out here is that if i can be moving out of the early second round into the third round and picking up a fourth or a fifth i'd be happy doing that now in this in this league i was lucky enough to get back a third and a fourth um, and then i immediately turned around and flipped my third round pick in, that i had received into a fourth and a fifth so essentially taking one pick in the second and turning into it a turning it into a uh, fourth and two fifths is kind of the way to think about what I did. Um, and if I could get a vet, something like that, I would be more than happy. I think I think if I can trade out of it, get a pick that's semi comparable, so third round, and then pick up get another pick that is in I think at worst case something around sixth round pick you're not moving down very much uh but if you can get something that's higher obviously go go and take it but i think i think in this case a person decided they couldn't live without stefan diggs they traded up got stefan diggs um i traded back to the the three four i traded out of the three four um it ended up being turned so essentially i turned that second round pick into mixon justin fields and josh jacobs so uh, I mean, it's a super flex league, and just let me ask you: Would you rather have Stefan Diggs, or would you have Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, and Justin Fields? And I think the answer is pretty clearly that you'd you'd rather have the three players. Yeah, it's crazy. It was uh, you know, fun to watch. Where I I look up and I see the board, and I'm like, hey, why is Keeney on here so much? What's the deal? <laughs> Seven picks in the first five rounds. I think that's in a, a definitely an impressive turnaround. So. Um, yeah, big fan of your team and what you did there. But 
yeah, I, I like the, the idea of trading down. I, I think that uh, you were able to execute it really well. So that, that was fun to watch. Um, is there anybody else that, that jumps out to you in these early rounds here? So, so one, two, three, just in terms of value, guys that you're targeting or guys that you're really interested in um, that, that you definitely want to be your anchor, that you won't trade down uh, if, he's on the, if he's on the board? Um, outside of round three, although I have been selecting him in round three, and I think this for me is where the value at quarterback in Superflex League really starts to pay off. And that is picking up a, a player and a quarterback at the tail end or kind of mid to late round three. And, and then kind of extending into early part of round four, because that's typically where they go. Uh, for me, that is looking at players like Justin Fields and Trey Lance. So Justin Fields is the guy that I'm starting to realize that I like a lot more than everybody else because I've ended up with him in the last three startups I've done. And I've been picking him in the late third round in each and every league, except for this one was early fourth. And I went Joe Burrow in this league. So for me, there is a number of quarterbacks towards the end of the third round um, that at that point, if you're trading out of the late third out of the fourth, you're going to be starting your number one quarterback is going to be someone like a, a Tannehill or a Jalen Hurts, maybe, um, you know, and the question is, is are you comfortable with those players being your number one QB in a super flex league? And, and you can win by doing that. But for me, it, it's not, not a situation I'd like to be in. And, and here's why. The quarterbacks that are going to be putting up points uh, in terms of like a super flex league or leading the league, you almost you have this group of haves and have nots, and they're being divided by the quarterbacks who can add value either through just putting a ton of passing volume up, seems like a, a Joe Burrow, or you're having a player who players who can add value on the ground. And for me, there's a clear line uh, between having one of those players and not. And for me, Justin Fields, Trey Lance um, are kind of the in the group of being, those are the guys I, I want in a startup. Because if you're looking at this draft going on late, later this year or late um, 2021, so or early next year, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to see the argument where Trey Lance, Justin Fields are going to be all first round picks. And, and those are the sort of picks that I, I want to make. I want to pick those players in which I can immediately turn around, wait half season, and all of a sudden they're being picked way higher than you know they were when I selected them. And for that's that's how you make a better dynasty team, right? Is that you you make picks where the players accrue in value, and then if you need to, you can you can turn those players into whatever you need at the time, right? So if you so for example, you know we're talking a little bit earlier about kind of going off on a tangent here, but we're talking about like a Dalvin Cook. Like Dalvin Cook is really only providing value to you um, this year in terms of the production he provides on the field. And if you want to go trade him, that value is going to be decreasing and decreasing and decreasing this, this year into next year and beyond. Now, if you're picking someone like a Jonathan Taylor, his value is already high. He's going to be giving the production this year. And his, per, his value at what you could go turn him for, whether you want to go turn him into maybe more 
points for your team, so production, or you want it to go more, turn him into more assets. So whether that be picks or young wide receivers or something like that, um, that you're trying to maybe do a rebuild, he can give you, you know, he allows you the flexibility to go pick what strategy or what sort of value you're wanting. And, and that's for me where I'm kind of getting off on a tangent I've mentioned here, but that's, that's where I kind of get to this is like, I'm trying to pick players who will not just give me like a steady return in those positions. And that's, and I think Trey Lance, Justin Fields, um, Joe Burrow, I think one of the best value picks in the draft was your pick, Devontae Adams. Um, we can discuss that in a minute here in the third round. So going for more of the production side of things versus the maybe overall value, right? But Devontae Adams is, is valuable too. But um, So for me, that's towards the end of the third round. Those are the kind of players that I'm, I'm really looking to to set the anchor of, of my team. I'm trying to set up that continuation or just continuing to grow that value over time. So, you know, if in a year from now, if I want to turn Lance into, you know, additional assets, or if I want to turn Lance into players that can go produce for me immediately, you know, it's pretty, pretty understandable if I could go, you know, a year from now and I could say, Hey, uh, Jetpack, uh, you look like you need a wide receiver too. I've got a really young, uh, player in, in Trey Lance, I would like to trade you for Devonta Adams plus. You know, in a year from now, that seems like something that would actually be, you know, very very reasonable trade, and and so that's where I'm happy to take Lance now, um, or a Fields now over someone like a Devonta Adams, depending on how my roster is set up and if I went quarterback in round one. Um, in this case, I didn't, so I'm going to be leaning quarterback. Yeah, I'm with you on Lance and Fields' value. I think that um, just in that third round range, I'm pretty happy with where we were grabbing them. So it might have felt like a reach. You know, you're looking at your board. Lance is my first quarterback. He's my QB1. And, you know, he might not play half the game. He might, you know, whatever. But you can pick up later quarterbacks to fill that in. Um, and you know his his dynasty value is going to be really awesome, like, next year. But so the question I, I would have for you is, you picked Jalen Hurts and Ryan Tannehill as kind of examples of guys that didn't really fit that like elite QB mold. And they're both guys that have pretty solid rushing upside. So what would you say are thresholds that you want to hit in terms of volume? So not just, uh, you know, like efficiency, you're like Tannehill is, you know, pretty efficient all the way around, but what are you looking at? like where you're predicting Burroughs going to have a ton of passing volume and that's going to be more valuable than Jalen Hurts's rushing volume. What are, what are those numbers? And then how do you, like when we're looking at Lance and Fields, I think we can both say this talent, this quarterback talent, the way they process the game, all that, that's more advanced or that's probably better than Jalen Hurts just as far as the way that we, uh, you know, have, have evaluated there and scouted them. Um, but as, as far as volume, what are you looking at and what are some numbers maybe that, that can help us identify what those passing numbers would be? And then also what would it be if it was more of like a rushing kind of quarterback? So that's kind of a, a tricky answer to put exact numbers to because I think if we're, we're looking at a Jalen Hurts, um, he's a player that I think could be could take the step. But at the moment, he's definitely more of a risky pick just because we're not sure if he's the long-term answer in in Philly. So the I think the difference between 
you know, Justin, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and like a, a Tannehill would be Tannehill has always been someone who, or at least in the offense that he is on right now, he's a lower passing volume quarterback, lives a lot on efficiency, adds a little bit of rushing volume, um, but it's more the environment and the weapons that he's got around him. So this year, of course, Tannehill would quite like him. But for me, if I'm trying to I'm struggle to put a, a number on a rushing rushes per game, um, you know, we're not talking Lamar Jackson type area here. But if we take a look at a player, maybe like Kyler Murray is kind of like a baseline. He's a player that, you know, was pretty average in terms of uh, team pass attempts per game, um, but was a really good fantasy player for us last year. Um, if we're having someone like that, let's see here. He had about, yeah, I was going to say, he had about eight carries a game last year, which was number four. Yeah, it's so solid. if we're getting, yeah, <laughs> Super yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's number four in the league. That's really right. good. Um, but if you're combining that with someone who's also an efficient passer, um, which I think, you know, Lance, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if he's going to be more of a, adding that additional volume on the ground as we might expect, or if they're going to be asking him to pass more. Um, whereas fields, we know we can do both just fine. Um, but that being said, um, I really don't have any concern about the two of those like Lance and fields coming out just because they were, they scored so well in, in both our passing metrics and our rushing metrics um, that we look at for, for um, college QBs. And so you know, we're kind of comparing a little bit apples to oranges, comparing guys who have been in the NFL or not in the NFL at this point. But we know that the you know, 90, 95th percentile plus outcomes um, are very possible for Lance and Fields. And so if we kind of just compare that uh, to where Tannehill is right now, Tannehill's, um, you know, he's a calm, a top 12, top 10 quarterback, right? But does he have top five? ceiling in points per game in his outcome uh, maybe if the situation is perfect for him you know he gets julio jones gets, has aj brown sounds good to me um for sure yeah <laughs> right it's pretty good um but we know that i'm a little bit more confident in saying that that ceiling is there for a lance and a fields so that's not me i guess putting exact numbers on what sort of thresholds they need to hit um but if they're if they're rushing five six times a game um, not counting scrambles, um, and they're just putting up reasonable pass attempts in an offense. It's for me, it's the combination of of the efficiency that they're going to be putting up in the in the air, and then also just the extra element that they add on the ground. And there's just not a ton of guys who can do that in the NFL at this point in time. And so you're you know you have to compare them to players like a Kyler Murray, like you know a Dak Prescott, who's you know, maybe a little less mobile, but, um, you know, it's extremely good passer. So these are the guys who they're going to come, they compare to coming out of college, uh, coming out of college. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'd say I am happy grouping them. Yeah. I'd say the, the number that I've looked at in the past has been 570 for passes. So if you're like Tannehill's, he's under 500 passes. So he had 480 something passes, last season and so he really needed to to produce a lot of value on the ground and he did he scored seven rushing touchdowns and i think that it's a bit unrealistic to expect him to repeat something like that 
because he's he's seven rushing touchdowns on 43 carries, right? So that kind of rushing efficiency is not something that you would expect him to repeat. And so you can say, oh, we're happy about him adding Julio Jones. Does that bump him up into this, you know, 550-ish range of passes? And that number is going to change because we're adding another game to the regular season, right? But we're looking at the Pat Mahomes, the Josh Allens, uh, those guys, their throwing numbers are up there in that 570, 580. And then you have guys like Burrow or Matt Stafford when he was on the Lions uh, and Tom Brady, they're throwing 600, right? And so it's those kind of guys that I'm thinking of uh, in terms of like, what does this offense typically churn out? That that threshold there of 570. And then I think if we do the math, that's about 600 probably um, for the you know regular season um, that we'll be heading into next year. That that's my target number for is does he have enough passing volume? Um, and then yeah, from a rushing standpoint, I like what you're saying that five six carry mark. Um, and a guy like Trey Lance, where you know he's going to be used on the goal line a lot. That there's there's some value there too. So um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good overall analysis. How here's a question for you. So the kind of statistical analysts analysis I've done in the past around passing volume, passing rates above or below league average. I've done some coaching analysis around that um, and also QB analysis around that. It It's not very predictable year to year. You know, you're talking um, like adjusted R squared value, usually less than 0.2. So you're only talking about like maybe 20% of the variance being explained by the factors you've got in your model. So that means 80% of everything is just random noise. Um Looking at it last year, at least I've had some success trying to look at where a quarterback has been, you know, a situation where they, yeah, I don't know, it just seems like I, I have a hard time pinning down which offenses are going to be having, you know, consistently a large jump in pass volume, at least just from some of the pure numbers standpoint. Now we can get a little bit better beyond that. If we start to factor in, you know, wide receiver group strength, we look at if we predict their offense or defensive line to be, sorry, their defense to be exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. Um, that tends to be quite noisy as well. It, do you have any, any kind of ballpark for a guy kind of in that tier, like, um, or like maybe a Tannehill side, I just don't see him making a huge jump up up from where he was at. I think that easiest thing to do is just point and say, you know, we're going to have regression to the mean <laughs> here. And so his pass attempts are going to go up. But, you know, is there is there any other lining factors there that would encourage us maybe bump him a little, even a little higher in redraft or something like that? Yeah, uh, well, so not specifically on Tannehill, but I think that you can probably... So the way that I look at it is, you know, if I can get 60% accuracy 60% of the time, right, then I'm winning, right? And so there, there's some value in terms of like, oh, if I put together this narrative and I understand collectively what's going on with the coach or what's going on with the quarterback and then all the weapons, um, then I can understand, you know, kind of that ballpark, right? If we're looking at the, like the Buccaneers, right, and we saw them move from Jameis Winston going 30 and 30, uh, you know, and he's well over... I believe he was well over 600 pass attempts the year before, right? And you're looking at, okay, Tom Brady's going to come in. They're adding Antonio Brown, right? 
this this question of are they going to pass in that ballpark? For me, it was you know maybe they they take a step down a little bit, but you're still projecting the Bucks to to run in this five seventy plus range. And so even though Tom Brady's not adding rushing value, his weapons there basically, and you look at the offense right, you see oh Ronald Jones, you know Leonard Fournette. We're not excited about these guys. They're not building this offense around these running backs. They're building it around Tom Brady. And so you know a B. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, you're going to throw the ball a lot, right? And you know it's also in Arians' tendency to want to do that, and that's being part of their game. So you can look at Brady and say, okay, he's going to be valuable here. You do the opposite with a guy like Baker Mayfield, where you know Stefanski's coming over from Minnesota. He just had Kirk Cousins, and he had a decent amount of wide receiver talent there. But Stefanski wanted to run the offense through Dalvin Cook, and so he had Kirk Cousins throw about 440 passes. So you see that and you go, okay, well, now he's moving to Cleveland. How is Cleveland built? Cleveland is built around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and this kind of weird double love of, of running backs. And and Stefanski coming from a system where, you know, he had wide receiver talent to, to throw to. He had Adam Thielen. Um, but he wanted to run the ball and make that his thing. And he talked about running the ball and making that his thing. And so you knew Baker Mayfield, again, not really having as much of that rushing upside or value, you know he's going to throw about 400 passes. And that's exactly what happened, even though he has Odell or even though he has Landry. And so I think part of it is about being aware of how offenses are built um, and then putting together those pieces to the puzzle to, to figure that out. So we look at a guy like Ryan Tannehill. I, I'm not going to expect him to throw in that 570 range, but I'm still happy with him in this QB1 value because I think those, you know, he maybe throws 60 more passes uh, this season than he did last season, including that a bump up of the, uh, of the extra game. So, you know, you know, probably more like three or four passes extra game. Cause he's adding Julio Jones, right? The offense is still about Derrick Henry. That's the whole thing, right? This is still a rushing engine. That's who their identity is. And their offensive line is built that way. The team defense is built that way. Mike Vrabel is going to see the game that way. And so they know that they have Henry. They're going to be a sledgehammer offense and that's going to be their thing. Tannehill just might have more opportunities to air it out a little bit if they ever get behind. And so then, then I think we're looking at this, uh, you know, him bumping up in that range. But I, I would say looking at weapons and then more specifically, what, how talented are the running backs versus how talented are the wide receivers? And I think that a lot of times you can pick up tendencies there using past history to like pull things all together. So that might be the, like a little bit of the missing piece, right? If I, you know, cause, cause offensive personnel changes entirely and coaches build their, a lot of times they build good coaches, build their offensive uh, scheme around the player talent that they have. So they, everybody adapts a little bit. Um, but, but that, that would be the thing that I would say is, is probably the main driver that gets hidden, right? If I just look at, you know, the, the R squared of QB attempts over a, a career, I'm gonna get all sorts of numbers, right? But that's because the offense and, and who's, you know, oh, we just drafted Sony Michelle or, and so, and we have Rex Burkhead and we love him. So we're just gonna, you know, and Tom Brady's getting kind of old. So we're just gonna run the ball a bunch. Uh, and then he, then he switches over to a different personnel set and a different coach with a different mindset. And all of a sudden he's back throwing 600 passes that and winning the Super Bowl, right? That's your like kind of narrative switch. So I think, yeah, there's there's a bunch of guys that you can find that for. We're, we're doing that with Burrow right now, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, they have Joe Mixon. They have plenty of talent there. But now they've added Chase and Higgins and Boyd. They're going to be throwing all game. So that, you know, that, that's that, those are the kind of things you're looking for. Same thing with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Mike McCarthy comes in. He's throwing a bunch in the uh, Prescott's first four games. And this will used to be 
a rushing offense built around Zeke Elliott. Zeke takes a little bit of a step back, maybe loses you know some of his bounce. You lose half your offensive line, and then all of a sudden this is a, a high-volume passing offense. Just with CeeDee Lamb coming in, you now you've got three solid wide receivers, right? And so this offense is now built built for the pass. Uh, and so just kind of picking up on those things, I think is, you know, that's where you're going to see the difference. If you look at your R squared from 2019 to 2020 for the Cowboys offense, you're, it's not going to look great if you're just looking at the quarterback. But once you get all those other factors in, then you, you'll start picking stuff up. Yeah, yeah, I totally hear you. Yeah, interesting thing, Tom Brady, 2019, he had um, 38 pass attempts per game. And do you think that one up or down in 2020 oh so 38 38 pass attempts and yeah 38 38 38 uh, did i say 19 or 20 i don't know (laughs) anyway i'll I'll spoil it for you it's it was the same it was the same pass attempts per game in 2019 and and 2020 he had uh in 2020 610 pass uh pass attempts total and essentially 38 per game in 2019 um 613 it's like it's crazy man it's like uh you you know you you would not have guessed that based on just the talent that was around him in new england at the time versus the talent of the wide receiver position in the bruce arian led um tampa bay offense you know you got you got a a, just a, a wealth of wide receiver talent there i don't know you're pretty big on antonio brown actually not being dead yet go check out that youtube video plug that real quick but um so it's just pretty pretty crazy to me it's just it's a it's one of those things that it it's hard to be like it seems like you just you can come up with all these different things where it's you're going to be right um or you're going to be it feels like you're going to be more right than you usually are you know it's like uh you know i you know last year i went into this whole big thing around like defenses (laughs) like don't matter and predicting defenses success and looking at like defense adjusted <laughs> stats are just like the absolute worst because even if there is a little signal, there's a little signal there. It's so overblown in the analysis that's put out there in the industry. It's just like people completely overreact to it. And I think it went from like there's a point where it's like the Seahawks were like the absolute worst. Like they were, I guess, from fantasy perspective, they were the best pass defense to attack in like the first half of the league. And then they went to like a bottom five pass defense to play guys against in the second half. And it's like, no, just stop trying to fool yourself. It Look at the quarterbacks. Look at the wide receivers. Follow the talent. That's where the talent is. And, and so that's kind of where I start to lean to. It's like if you've got, you know, these marginal guys and and they're, they're above average, yes, they can have career years if the situation is right. But that requires you being right about a number of things. Maybe it's you being right about their actual talent on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe you're right about them having just a terrible defense, which causes them to play more. Although, funny thing is, is that I did a study a while ago, um, and the best quarterbacks are actually correlated with good defenses. So, it, you know, it's just kind of like just it's all over the board. And, and I just want to caution people for this isn't this isn't me saying, hey, Dak Prescott, you know, he might not be a top 12 QB, you know. It's like, no, what I'm saying is that you or us trying to pick out or highly elevate a mediocre player or a mediocre wide receiver, a mediocre um, 
quarterback up because of all these little factors that are not very predictable. You know, wide receiver talent is semi-predictable, so maybe exclude that one. But you say, oh, his offensive line is just it's the best situation he's ever had. Oh, it's, you know, this defense is so bad. He's going to pass all the time. It's like you just start and you create this like little narrative and and all and it's like all of a sudden what you've done is you've just taken this mid-round quarterback and you boosted his ADP on your board by, you know, a round or two. And all you've done is you've just eliminated all the upside of that pick for, for your player. So yeah, sure, it's fine. Take bets on the players that you like, but just be careful on on elevating guys on, you know, questionable practices in terms of how you know, jetpack, I don't think you're doing this, but you know, just a warning to all you guys out there who, who are playing is just be careful on who you're elevating and why you're elevating them. If you're if you're boosting them on a narrative that has been proven to be mostly noise in the past, you know, consider it that you're making, you know, a, a 50, you know, you're making like a 55, 45% type of bet. And it's just like, that's maybe not enough to, to be making um, uh, consistently to making, you know, to moving them up above players who are just at a baseline talent are just better. So that's okay. That's my rant for the, for the day, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, I think when you're doing a lot of this predicting or when you're building out your projection models, you, you want to go with the like typical range for a player's talent. And then you adjust up or you adjust down, but it's still in that range. You still have this bracket range. So like, for example, you know, when I was looking at Tom Brady, I'd say, oh, okay, he's got 580 passes. He's got 570 passes. He's capable of being this high passing volume guy. And then he did 613 or whatever. And then he goes to the Bucks. I'm going to say, okay, maybe he's getting a little bit older. Maybe they, they take it down a notch. And But he's st- I'm still putting him in this 580 range. So I think I had him projected for 588 or something like that. And then, and then you know, you go and you see them play. And, oh, it's the same as it was last year. That's it's fantastic, right? Because the the talent, you know, he he ta- he travels and he fills in all these, you know, he's got all these great receivers. I think a good guy to compare to or, or another example that I'm thinking of is Matt Stafford. So he's a guy that I have high confidence in right now because he's been a high passing volume guy in the past. I think the question really is just injury, but he's going from a Lions offense where he's, you know, throwing the ball a decent amount. Um, and then now, even though he's going to the Rams, which just ran the ball a lot, they just lost a lot of confidence in Jared Goff. He's going to an offense where Jared Goff, I think he's 2018, he's throwing this, you know, 550 plus passes. And so I think Matt Stafford will end up hitting that similar range, right? So it's in McVeigh's like ability to have a guy that throws over 550. Maybe, I don't know if you're looking it up right now, but maybe you can tell me, but uh, you know what Jared Goff threw in 2018, but uh, you know, you have this this ballpark of, okay, you know, we're bumping up or, or we have some history with McVeigh being able to do this. He loses some confidence in Jared Goff. Now he's got his guy. You McVeigh comes in. He's like, Oh, this, this, this guy's a stud, right? Uh, I'm so happy we have Matt Stafford. Now we can actually throw the ball downfield to Robert Woods and, and Cooper cup and, and attack uh, in a league that, you know, needs us to pass. And so, you know, maybe you look at last history, you say, Oh, McVeigh is just going to run the ball a lot. Uh, now he's got the talent to be able to throw the ball more. And I, I think that, that that will push him up into more of a relevant range, even though Matt Stafford does not carry rushing value. He's still, to me, fantasy valuable. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Matthew Stafford is one of those guys that when I saw you make that pick, I think it was the, the sixth round. Do I have that right? 
Yes, early early sixth round. I was like, that was the QB value of the draft for me. Outside of maybe my Justin Fields pick in the fourth, which is I love Justin Fields, but um, <laughs> no, no, I just being just being serious. <laughs> like if there, if you're gonna wait on quarterback, and I kind of like doing this technique, where if I'm gonna be taking a quarterback very early in the draft, I'm pretty happy like waiting until third, fourth round to pick up my second one. You may say that's early, but you know, that's typically you're picking a quarterback that's, you know, you're picking like the 10th or 12th quarterback off the field, uh, off the, you know, off the board. But if you're waiting past round four, um, you're typically picking, I think what is, what's, I can't look it up real quick here, but uh, you know, you're picking between quarterback 15 or so or beyond. So you're you're getting into the you know the two Otungaloa kind of upside picks at the end of the fifth round, maybe and then call it through Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan into the ninth and tenth round. Is there any players in kind of that maybe fourth round plus that you found that you find really valuable? Because for me, I think especially in a superflex league, where you grab your second quarterback or kind of the two quarterbacks that you can kind of stack. That, that is like so critical for your team. And it's why quarterback values are so inflated in these setups. But that being said, is there is there anybody else maybe outside of Stafford in the sixth round? I think that was definitely value pick of the draft. Um, you picked him just before, I think the picks give you the pick before or after. So Zach Wilson went early, uh, mid fifth round, then to a tank of Loa, uh, late fifth round, then Stafford, that's your pick. And late sixth round, we have Jeopardy Boy, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Tom Brady in seventh, Derek Carr in the seventh, and then Deshaun Watson. If he plays, it's great value in the seventh. Kirk Cousins in the mid-seventh. So any, any anything stand out there? Any quarterback value? We can talk about Mayfield, Ryan, Wentz going in the later rounds, I think Mayfield is probably the next guy that I would say is pretty good value outside the top six rounds. Yeah. So yeah, Stafford is my last guy that I'm comfortable taking as a QB one. So I took Lance early. That's more of like, hi, hey, I'm going to solidify this dynasty thing. We're doing super flex, whatever. Right. To, to actually, I'm still trying to win. Right. So I need Stafford as my QB one. So I'm making sure that he's, he's the end of that tier. And so like Kirk Cousins, I'm not super comfortable with. Again, the history of passing is still pretty low, even with Kubiak. Um, and, you know, and so, like, I would say Stafford is the guy who's, again, the, the volume I'm most excited about still being there. Um, Rodgers, of course, he, I'd be comfortable with him as my QB1. Um, Brady is a little bit too old for me in terms of Superflex Dynasty, so not really interested in, in that sense. Um, so Stafford is really the end for me of that tier. Uh, Tua is a little bit risky. Uh, I do like Tua, but he's a little bit risky. We just don't, don't really know what to think of Tua right now. Um, so Stafford's my end. Um, and then I have a big gap where I'm not interested in Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm not interested in Baker Mayfield. He's not going to throw enough for me. Um, and then the the guy that I'm most willing to take a gamble on that I think a lot of people are off of is Carson Wentz. And so um, but at that point, you know, Carson Wentz needs to be your QB two or three, really. Uh, and that, that's the key is, is if I'm playing Superflex, I'm making sure that Wentz is not my QB two 
Or if I'm down there and he has to be my QB two, then I'm making sure I'm taking somebody like right next to him, like Jameis Winston, uh, you know, where I'm, you know, basically just gambling. Uh, but I do like Carson Wentz a lot, uh, just in terms of the value he's at. I think he's worth the gamble. But um, yeah, there there is a gap for me after that round six. If if Stafford is gone, then I'm kind of hosed, or I hope to have had somebody else already. Yeah, I I actually it's pretty interesting. I'm very much the same opinion here. I think in another league that we did the startup with the Patreons, I I end up going Wentz uh, as my third QB. Uh, and this league I ended up going in the fourth round. Yep. I mean, sorry, the eighth round. I went Mayfield. Um, I like Mayfield. I think I'm pretty happy to buy someone who's very young. He's proven he's effective quarterback. Um, and I'm happy buying him, or you know, buying him, picking him at what I perceive to be sort of possibly like the lowest value that we're possibly I think going to see from him. I really don't see a situation unless he's just a bad quarterback where he falls much more down the draft board just because he's so young and his, you know, everybody's perceiving him right now as being someone who's, you know, just as you said, not a high passing volume offense, you know, um, what's to say that doesn't change in two years, two, three years when, you know, um, player like Nick Chubb moves on. Um, here's a, here's a player just because Superflex is, it's all about the quarterback. It, how about Daniel Jones? Daniel goes. Daniel Jones goes in late eighth round. Um, uh, he's like kind of on my no draft list for Dynasty. I I have just yeah. I don't know. I debate. I honestly I did debate him uh, at the in the uh, eighth round in, over Mayfield, um, just because he's a player that I do not believe in the talent. I do not think he's a good quarterback, but the situation is looking pretty good. Um, they added Galladay, you know, they've returning a number of players. If Ingram can somewhat be healthy, even got a reasonable tight end. Uh, it, he's a guy that, you know, he's had spike weeks in the past. So in this, you know, funky best ball format where you can trade and pick up waiver picks, he's not a bad player, but I just decided I'd rather go Mayfield. Cause Mayfield, you know, he, he's been stable, but he's also had some games where he's throwing. He has, you know, three plus touchdown game upside, too. So I took the player who's likely to be playing in three years where Daniel Jones, I'm not convinced he is going to be. <laughs> it's terrible, but he is, <laughs> you know, he's a guy in redraft. Maybe you take a flyer on him. Um, but I oh, man, he makes me nervous. Yeah, he's he he's tough. So we have uh, Harms made a video on him. Daniel Harms, he's one of our film analysts. He made a video. He's a fan of Daniel Jones as far as you know, thinking he might possibly take the step forward. Uh, and you know, I think that with Jones, I would rather have Wentz than Jones, but I would rather have Jones than Mayfield because so so to me, what I'm looking at is like I don't like Mayfield is never going to be a top ten. <laughs> I don't want to say top. That's 10. fair. Yep. Never going to be a top five guy, right? And Wentz, Wentz could absolutely be that because you think of, okay, he's with, he's reunited with Frank Reich and he's got about the same level of passing talent that he did with the Eagles and he's got about the same level of offensive line talent as he did with the Eagles. And so, you know, there's some potential there to say, hey, this guy could be what he was previously when he was coaching, when he was with the same coach. Uh, with Jones, we don't have that necessarily. And so that's why, you know, I'd rather prefer Wentz over Jones. But I think 
yeah, with Jones, the, the, uh, there's something about, I don't know, feeling that the Giants are not going to be as good as the Browns and feeling like Pat Sherman wants to throw the ball a little bit more and use Saquon a little bit more. And also knowing that the offensive line is not built to rush, uh, that at least, you know, it gets me into this like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll try Daniel Jones. He's a guy I definitely pick up in best ball leagues, especially like uh, if you're playing underdog or something like that, where you've got a like a one QB right. league, uh, yeah. and you know you know you're not you're not dead in the water if Daniel Jones you know gets benched at some point, which I don't think he will, but um, you know, it's one season to be fine. I think he's a guy. It's pretty interesting just because he did have pretty decent rushing floor he's had some spike weeks and if you find a best ball format that's really right. all you care about yeah. um so i i could talk myself into picking you know if, if i was going full-on win now um in this league I probably i don't know maybe i convince myself to take Daniel jones but he's, he's just an interesting player so you know we mentioned tua earlier right and tua did not have a good showing last season um but i think he's kind of the same feel Right, he's young enough where he can still improve. He's young enough where he can still improve. The offensive line sucks. The weapons are sick, and so you have just kind of this like, well, yeah. But that that's where they're at for me, right? Daniel Jones is a you know I'm less invested in because he's older, but you know really I, I think that they're basically the same gamble. Yeah, and the difference is is one of those players was exceptionally good in college, and the other one was played at duke or something um <laughs> what was it duke? so yeah. uh yeah. yeah two it's interesting you know you know it's a two round called a two round premium in our draft uh for tua which i think is fine yeah um right over jones yeah over jones i i should be closer or not i'm not sure um yeah two is two is fun i saw him get traded in one of my leagues for um the rookie pick uh 112 uh, which I thought was a good move because it was a one QB league. And I thought Tua being added to the player's roster um, was, oh, was a good move yeah. for, for that team. Just because he does present in a one QB league, you are, you know, in a one QB league, you're drafting less Mayfields and you're drafting more Daniel Jones types of players just because you the production of quarterback is right. replaceable and, and you're just hoping you're hitting on or hoping to kind of snag some of that upside. And so you're looking at the players that kind of present that. Tua definitely does. Daniel Jones definitely does. Um, so I think I thought that was a good move. So if you if you're you know, if you're in a you know one QB league um, out there, I think Tua Daniel Jones. If you can trade, you know, second round pick or something like that for somebody who's you know maybe Tua is their third QB or second QB and they feel pretty comfortable, they're never going to be playing him very much. Um, take a shot because. You know, those guys could be easily, you know, top 12 QBs for maybe for the short term for Jones uh, in this one year, uh, maybe longer for Tua. And, you know, that's a sort of moves that all to win you leagues. So um, in the league that Jetpack and I are in, uh, in the third round, I was staring down my second pick and I had drafted Saquon Barkley and in the late mid late first who I think is like my favorite pick at that point um, if I can't get like Prescott earlier in the in the round um, and 
I went with Burrow because I was looking at the draft board and I knew I had Jetpack picking right after me. And and I wanted a couple picks. You know, I was towards the end of the third round because I was picking, I think, 209, I think is what it was. Um, 309. So I went Joe Burrow and I went Joe Burrow over Devonta Adams. And I had to think about that one for a while. Um, and it was really a question of how am I going to be building this team out? Um, and then, so of course we know what Jetpack did. He didn't hesitate at all. He drafted Devonta Adams and then heckled me in our, our team chat. And I deserved it. Uh, a couple rounds later in the sixth round, um, Jetpack, so Jetpack's now picking ahead of me, one pick ahead of me. So we're sniping each other all draft. At least I think I was, or maybe I wasn't. I don't know. Maybe my values are just completely off the board here. There's a few picks. Anyway, um, Jetpack goes first, and he picks Stafford, which I think was the QB, one of the better QB values to draft. And I picked Brandon Ayuk. So my kind of question to Twitter was, would you prefer Burrow and Brandon Ayuk, two players I absolutely love, or would you prefer Devontae Adams and Stafford? And, and I was actually pretty surprised that this draft, this poll was pretty close. Uh, seven, sorry, 53% of uh, people who voted preferred the Stafford Devontae Adams side. And 46% and change voted for the Burrow and Brandon Ayuk side. So what's fun is that these are actually four players the, the two of us really quite like, although I don't know exactly where you're on on Burrow. Uh, but I know you're a huge Brandon Ayuk fan. So give me your give me your feedback on this trade. Now I will I will pause and I will say that in a superflex league, the value on a quarterback who's falling is substantially higher than other another position. So you know if I perceive Brandon Ayuk is falling or something like that, getting a Stafford late is at a, at a good value is going to be much more impactful than you know picking up a wide receiver who fell around or so. So I. I thought this was good value for you, and I thought you were able to leverage on kind of that later round quarterback strategy, which I think is, um, it's risky, right? It's like, for me, it's like, I don't like to rely on it because I've gotten burned in the past a few times not being as comfortable as I would like to be at quarterback. And if you're not, if you're in a hole at quarterback in the Superflex League, it's a, it's a huge hole to try to dig out of. Usually you can dig out of like a, RB hole because even a mid mid round draft pick your you know quarterbacks go early and you can pick pick a young running back and, and luck your way into production there. But if you're in a hole at quarterback, it's terrible. So it's a little bit risky to keep waiting. But if you do wait and you do are are able to pick up the value, it it can really look good on your roster. So give me your give me your feedback on on this Burrow Ayuk versus Stafford Devonte Adams pick and. and Go, go easy on me. <laughs> no, I, I think it is pretty close. And it, it's close because of the age difference. That's really the thing that, that I think is, is pulling them. Uh, you know, and, it, and when we're talking about, oh, how do I want to build this? Uh, you're not necessarily losing now by taking these younger guys, right? Burrow's going to have probably a QB one season. He's going to be great. And Ayuk, probably a top 24 wide receiver season. Or that's, you know, kind of what we're hoping for. And I think that's perfectly reasonable because he's that talented. Um, but yeah, for me... You know, at that point in the draft, all the good, like the, the your elite quarterbacks are gone, and you're choosing now between 
Burrow and, and basically the rookies. And so when I look at these this class, this 2021 class, and I see Justin Fields, Trey Lance, right? For me at this point, knowing the that rushing upside, I would almost prefer those guys over Burrow. And that's not because I'm down on you know Burrow or don't think that he'll he'll be. I think he'll be bad, right? I think I think he's gonna be good. Um, but to me, those guys were more exciting, and so I was comfortable. Uh, you know, kind of like sitting and saying, okay, I'll take a receiver. So you you had t- taken Burrow already. Very happy to see that. Like, great. I don't really care about Burrow. I'm going after Devontae Adams. Very excited to see him fall as far as he did. Um, yeah. The, so the deal with Adams is I think that you're getting a, a top five wide receiver for another two seasons. And that is more valuable to me than, you know, Brandon Ayuk, who he, he may never, ever see right. that value. Right. And so that, you know, just in terms of like the exponent there, right. It's, it's huge. Right. And so there's the, the, the plus there, um, on that end. Um, and I am kind of confident that I think Rogers will play. So that's another layer there, but yeah. And you know, Andrew Brandt is a pretty good guy to follow knows the green Bay situation really well. Um, very, very good at the cap. Um, used to work there. He, he is very much of the opinion and I tend to agree with him. That Aaron Rodgers is probably going to play this year. Um, there might be some contract stuff that gets worked out. And now 22 is much more up in the air. And there's a good possibility he gets traded or something happens at that point. But I think I think he probably plays this year. And it's really, it'd be pretty unprecedented for him to just be out. But Aaron Rodgers is kind of a weird dude at times. So maybe, yeah, it'd be, <laughs> yeah. he is kind of a weird dude. But he'd be letting all of his teammates down. He'd be letting the whole, you know, Green Bay down. He, he's not going to do that. I don't think so. Too much. I mean, follow the money, and he's going to be paid very well for the season. He leaves all. He's uh, doesn't seem like that would be the situation to do. So let me add some context. to This Brandon Ayuk, um, Devontae Adams thing. So um, Brandon Ayuk last year in terms of fantasy points per game, uh, and I'm not filtering out here for the minimum games played, although. Just a quick glance at my list doesn't tell me that there's no single game performances on here. Um, Brandon Ayuk was number um, number 11 in fantasy points per game last year, which is pretty mind blowing to me at 15.2. Okay, so that's that's a he's a guy that I yeah he's so good. He, I didn't yeah, awesome. I didn't expect him to be so he's good. A he's a guy that like <laughs> I needed you. I needed other players to be like, hey, this guy, go check his stuff out. Okay, all right, I, I, I get it. Number one on the list for last year was Devontae Adams, and he's at 25.7 fantasy points per game. This is like a 10-point-per-game difference. Now, of course, it's one year, and it's quite a good year for Adams, but but it's pretty amazing to me just how much better he was than the field. Because uh, number two on that list is was Ridley at 18.8. And then Hopkins, 18.2. So if you're comparing like Brandon Ayuk versus, uh, you know, Keenan Allen, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, um, Calvin Ridley, he's only like, you know, three points per game less than that. Uh, and in some cases, two or less points per game less. But Devine Diaz just was clearing the field by, by like seven plus fantasy points per game. It was just like, I mean, it's like a touchdown a game more. It's just pretty unbelievable last year yeah Devontae Adams I believe he had the top two best fantasy performances of all time yeah that's pretty pretty up pretty good year so yeah uh it's uh yeah it was number it's number five sorry so you have Elroy Hirsch 
1951. Jerry Rice, 26.2, 1987. Wes Chandler, 1982, 26.2. Jerry Rice, 1995, 25.9. And then you have Devontae Adams. So top five wide receiver season of all time. That's pretty amazing. And he's and he's done it for two years in a row, essentially, at this point. So I you'd expect that right. to probably continue. Unless you, you know, no. I mean, Amarji Rogers. <laughs> no, I'm just messing around. No, Devontae Adams is going to eat in that offense. He's very, very good. <laughs> he's, you know, I think if I had to put a number on him last year, I think he's probably going to end up around 20 points per game. It's, it's a pretty safe bet. So, pretty, pretty awesome performances but yes back to Ayuk any more comment on him what so what are you projecting him at now so 15.4 rookie season but you know Debo's not really there George Kittle's off and on so what's your analysis because I got him down at like 13 12.4 in that range yeah I think that's safe um you know projecting any player to be 15 plus is hard to do because essentially you're projecting them to be uh, top 10 top five player at the position um and i don't think Ayuk is quite that level so no i think he, you know if you're if you're getting 14 a game he's fine yeah i mean i i think just overall though you know when you're looking at the age age curve thing right Ayuk is definitely a guy to get excited about um i yeah i, I just think the the difference maker here is i'll take you know yep. two years of top five over yep. Maybe never seeing that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. After week seven, so week seven plus, Ayuk only had one game below um, 10 expected fantasy points per game. So he had, and he had three games over 20 expected fantasy points per game. It's pretty impressive in context of that offense. Yeah, he's definitely the dude. He's the wide receiver one. I I never thought that Debo would be, he's not a one. Yeah. Debo's a, a gadget guy. Uh, so to see how you come in and, and be that dude, I think it was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, any other thoughts on this? On anything else? No. Uh, outside of that, no. I, I think Lance and Brandon Ayuk could be a lot of fun. So, you know, you're not you're not really betting on Ayuk. Yes. Boosting his target share a whole lot or his air yards. His air yards probably go up if they're throwing the ball a little bit more. Um, you know, he, he had that performance only 23% target share, which is very easy to do even with, you know, other options on the field, like a Kittle or, you know, if you really think, um, Debo Samuels, some target magnet, he's not, but, um, yeah, Ayuka's got plenty of room to go. So yeah, I'm excited for him. So, all right. I think that wraps it up for me in terms of the biggest question there. Good to get your thoughts on that. I don't know. If I had to go back in time, I think I'd, I might go Adams this time. Although it probably means I'm picking somebody else at quarterback at some point. But Yeah. You would stack, uh, well, I uh, knew I was only going to get one of them because you were going to get a pick. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was the, was that was the trick. Other. So I knew, yes. I knew that you sure. were going to pick. Um, so it was a little bit of gamesmanship because I knew going into that third round that if I picked Burrow, you would pick Adams. And then I had traded, so I was on the other side of you uh, going into round four. So I was on, I was stacked. 
I would, yeah. No, you're <laughs> For saying two rounds, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I, um, I knew that if I picked Adams, you might go Fields, and I, and, and so I was. Oh, absolutely. And so that's why I, you know, that kind of went into my decision as well. So I knew that if I picked Burrow, you would almost 100% go Adams, and then I could go Fields, so I could get kind of two players I liked versus. And Fields was the guy I wanted, um, but I didn't think that the guys at the turn would pick Fields. Um, I thought there was a good chance they might have picked Burrow. So I just was like a little bit of a, I maybe forced you into the Adams pick so I could get Fields is another way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the ultimate yeah. galaxy brain move. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, know, yeah. I, I was like, oh, I got to take Adams. Right? You got but if Adams was gone, yep. I'm taking Fields over Burrow, and I'm and waiting around the turn, and I'm taking Trey Lance. But you know, maybe Trey Lance wouldn't have been there. But you know, it, it, yeah, I'm pretty, overall, I would have been, been bad because I probably would have tried to sneak Lance past <laughs> your pick to my second one right behind you, and I would have, I would have thrown a fit. Yeah. So that's the other thing. I think people are the the space. So just, again, the spacing between Fields and Lance is yep. like people people like fields mm-hmm. more like a good amount you know and and i mean personally i do too actually and and so i, I think kind of that like why you know the niners didn't and you know i know he's probably gonna run you the like ball shanahan more. more too you know so i think that for me yeah the, for me they're really close uh but but just like initially when i hear it i go oh yeah. fields over lance every time and so that's just yeah. an interesting the only reason I think kind of we're more comfortable that. saying that yeah. and kind of going against the, the draft capital argument um, and, and to some degree the analytics argument because Lance is like a 98th 97th percentile prospect and Fields is only 92-ish so um, but I, we have a lot of confidence in Fields because of his the one he played a little bit more in college and two when he did play his passing stats were very very good uh did it against good competition and and our grading team also thinks that he's a very good passer so i just have a little bit more comfort i'm a little bit more comfortable saying i think fields is going to be a better passer um and so that's why i tend to bump him up over lance but no yeah it's crazy to me that lawrence will go in first round in some drafts and then you, you have to wait almost two full rounds before field and lance go it's crazy to me. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's too much fun. We'll talk fun. about rookie quarterbacks yeah. in the future. But, but like, it is. It's too much fun. To me, Justin Fields is like this mystery of, well, you know, what if somebody actually uses him running the ball? You know, because he didn't really get that at Ohio State. And so, if Matt Nagy's like, oh, yeah, we'll just run the Mitch Trubisky offense through this guy. Well, then... Then yeah, it's like I mean, Trubisky. Oh, this could go anywhere. Turned the ball so, over four or five times a game. He had, you know, he had like a six touchdown game. He he was he would go crazy. Yeah. Against usually bad offenses. I mean, bad defenses. But but oh man, it could be it could be fireworks show in Chicago. Much to chagrin of my my Lions family yeah, here. Of. I'm from Detroit, so I, it's a bittersweet cheering for the Lions. Yeah, no, I don't really cheer for them anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, this Ooh, is yeah. your year with uh, Jared Goff. <laughs> Jared Goff, Jared Goff, <laughs> is like 
<laughs> no wide receivers. Quintus Cephas, uh, Perriman. I mean, DeAndre yeah. Swift and Hawkinson. Hawkinson, we, we'll get into him Tyrell. when we kind of go towards the, the later round values in, in the draft maybe next time. But uh, Hawkinson, I quite like later. Fifth round pick. He's, he's a nice pick. But All right. Yeah, take care. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we're the Fantasy Football Astronauts, and we are blasting off again. Thanks for joining. <laughs>